Dear Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time which we can spend together now. Time of fellowship with you and the Lord Jesus Christ. Time of fellowship with each other. Time out of the pressures and strains that sometimes the world causes us to have to face. Oftentimes pressures which, probably on the face of it, ought to be fairly irrelevant. Yet, they can become all-encompassing. But here, Lord, here we can focus on the things which are of most importance. Here we can be reminded of the love that you have for us, which was demonstrated through the giving of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we may know you. And so, Lord, our prayer is that through our time together this morning, we may come to know you better and we may come to understand your love better and in doing so that we may become more Christ-like not just for this hour but for the hours ahead and the days ahead. Lord, we pray that you will bless us and minister to us through our time of prayer and worship and prayer and reading and learning. We put all things in your hands, Lord, and offer you our thanks and praise now through Jesus. Amen. Amongst other things this morning, we'll be thinking about focus. And Jack will be uh, leading some of our thoughts later when he does the exhortation for us. Uh, We're going to have our announcements now and pastoral prayer which Neil will lead um, Pauline's had an appointment this week uh, with her pacemaker consultant um, she is very worried that she may have to have a pacemaker replaced so we need to keep her in our prayers um, I understand Joe's been quite unwell but good to see you here this morning Joe um, please can we well we will uh, please if you can keep in your thoughts and prayers as well Tess Byron and her family um, Tess has finished her radiotherapy, um, but is still very poorly and in a lot of pain. Um, she has an appointment on Wednesday to see uh, what's going on. She's lost a lot of weight and they want to just um, check that out. Um, nothing else specific, but um, if we keep um, the following in our prayers, Norman and Margaret, Devon and Christine, Alan McGore, um, John in Congo, Pauline, Gladys, Marion, Bill, Haley, and Tammy. Um, we will this morning, but also uh, throughout your weeks, if you could do that, please. Does anybody have anything else they'd like us to pray for um, as regards pastoral issues? Okay, thank you. Yeah, just uh, if you bow your heads where you are. Father, as we uh, bow before you again in prayer, we want to thank you for all the uh, amazing blessings that you shower on us, um, sometimes unnoticed, each and every day. As Pauline has said, we thank you for uh, this this church here, this light on a hill, this, this witness to your gospel that we are privileged to be a part of here in Old Trafford. And we pray for your um, blessing on, on everything that we do through this week and the coming weeks as we approach um, Christmas. And, and we pray that we'll be able to uh, show people what Christmas is really about and specifically... Um, introduce them, introduce them to the, your son, the real Jesus, not the, not the helpless babe, the powerful, mighty King, 
there who we're looking forward to, to returning to rule on this earth. Please bless each and everything that we do uh, here at Old Trafford in your name. And please bring us people that we can speak to. Thank you for all those who, who, whose strength is uh, introducing people to you and to your son. And please give us new resolve in that and uh, give us your words to speak when the opportunity arises. Father, we're blessed to be here this morning to meet together and to worship you and your son in peace and in safety. And uh, we think of those people all around the world who, who don't have that privilege, don't have that safety and security. And we, we pray that you'll bless them and keep them close to you um, and allow them to, to worship you um, without persecution. Thank you that we're able to be here. Thank you for our family who aren't here as well. And we pray that you'll uh, keep them in in your caring hands and uh, keep them close to you as well. We think particularly of, um, of Norman and Margaret, Devon and Christine, of Alan, of Pauline and Gladys and Marion, and Bill and Haley and Tammy. Some we've not seen because of illness, some we've not seen uh, for other reasons. And Father, whatever the reason, we pray that you'll be close to them. We pray for uh, Roy and Zoe Dean and their family, particularly uh, ask that you would be with Zoe um, as she faces another difficult period ahead. Um, and Lord, we know you can bring healing if that's your will. We pray for your, uh, your healing hand on her. We pray for your healing hand on Sylvia's mum as well. Please be with her um, and help her to recover. Um, please strengthen Pauline as she meets her consultant this week. And please be with Tess and her family um, and give them strength and, and healing if that's your will, Lord. Please bless each of them and each of us uh, as you know we need and richly. In Jesus' name, Amen. Sorry, I should have said we've had a thank you certificate from Operation Christmas Channel which I'll stick at the back as well. We're going to take our readings this morning uh, and we are going to have uh, Job chapter 7 and Hebrews chapter 12. And Jack will be uh, basing his exhortation, I think, essentially from Hebrews 12. As we, as we have these chapters read to us, I would like you to uh, look at the stark contrast of uh, some of the thoughts that are coming out. Chapter 7, obviously, is... Uh, we find Job in a, a pretty desperate situation and he tells us from the words we read how desperate his situation, how he feels. And then in Hebrews 12, we actually start to see uh, how he ought to be viewing his situation, I think. There are some very important lessons, and I think uh, I think we'll all find it beneficial if we if we pick these things up now. I think it'll feed into the rest of the service for us. Uh, Ruth will lead our first reading, and Peter. No, who's doing the second reading? Read my notes, and then Alex will uh, do Hebrews. Job chapter seven. <clears throat> Does not man have hard service on earth? 
Are not his days like those of a hired man, like a slave longing for the evening shadows, or a hired man waiting eagerly for his wages? So I have been allotted months of futility, and nights of misery have been assigned to me. When I lie down, I think, how long before I get up? The night drags on, and I toss till dawn. My body is clothed with worms and scabs, My skin is broken and festering. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and they come to an end without hope. Remember, O God, that my life is but a breath. My eyes will never see happiness again. The eye that now sees me will see me no longer. You will look for me, but I will be no more. As a cloud vanishes and is gone, so he who goes down to the grave does not return. He will never come to his house again. His place will know him no more. Therefore, I will not keep silent. I will speak out in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I the sea or the monster of the deep that you put me under guard? When I think my bed will comfort me and my couch will ease my complaint, even then you frighten me with dreams and terrify me with visions so that I prefer strangling and death rather than this body of mine. I despise my life. I would not live forever. Let me alone. My days have no meaning. What is man that you make so much of him, that you give him so much attention, that you examine him every morning and test him every moment? Will you never look away from me or let me alone even for an instant? If I have sinned, what have I done to you, O watcher of men? Why have you made me your target? Have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my offences and forgive my sins? For I shall soon lie down in the dust. You will search for me, but I shall be no more. Hebrews chapter 12 Therefore, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as a discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? 
if you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who, for a single meal, sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit his blessing, he was rejected. He could bring no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged them that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not hear what was commanded. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful, and so worship God acceptably, with reverence and awe
for our God is a consuming fire. Our lives are all the more better, all the more better, that sounds rubbish to me, are better, are more effective if they are based on our relationship with God. That's essentially, I think, what Hebrews is teaching us. We need God in our lives. And this time together now gives us opportunity to respond and remember what God has done for us. So our next song from Praise the Lord is 194. I will worship with all of my heart. I will praise you with all of my strength. In their infinite wisdom, HR at work decided to put all their senior managers on a, 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 a personal effectiveness training course, which blatantly, for those of you who know me well, I was delighted to be on. And I guess there are a bunch of these things. Uh, but before, you, before I went on the course, I had to go on this website and fill in a bunch of questions. Uh, and from this, from the answers to my questions, I was given a, to be honest, quite a long report on, on who I was. And basically the idea was, I get to know myself quite well. We then talk and find out what other people like, and therefore we can uh, interact and work together uh, better. And it's a colour-coded thing. Maybe some of you have come across it. And uh, the main colours for me, well, the main colour of this week was blue. Now, basically, out of 100, I scored 91% in this blue section, which I think basically means I'm, I'm a control freak, I hate risk, and I'm not... What's the word? I'm not... It's not I don't interact well with people, but I'm not particularly a people person. And it had this page and a half summary which I went through, and it was sort of accurate, to be honest. I thought it was a, it was a reasonable approximation of, uh, of who I thought I was. So I was thinking, well, it's not too bad. Which partly explains why I had a fairly horrendous week at work. On Monday, about half past ten, I was about to walk into a meeting, and the whole of uh, Middlebrook, which is... M61 Junction 6, big retail park, had a massive power cut. All our systems went down, which was annoying, because then I've the, the managers of 250 people saying, Joe, you know, what we're doing, do you know, when we have our systems back, blah de blah de blah About half past two, three o'clock, all systems were back, seemed to have got away with it, except into Tuesday and then definitely into Wednesday, we definitely didn't have things back. And again, I had 250 people basically saying, Systems are rubbish, can't really work. And I have got no idea what is wrong. No errors anywhere, no nothing. And I'm a control freak. I don't do not know. And actually, I, it stresses me out, those sorts of things. And, uh, and frankly, I was quite stressed. Thursday, we managed to get stuff sorted out. Friday, have a carpet uh, delivered and laid. Then find out it's the wrong carpet. Not only is it the wrong carpet, I paid another 150 quid. 
more than the last carpet we had, which is what we wanted in the first place. It's just been rubbish. And when things get rubbish, it's easy to lose perspective and it's easy to look and lose focus on God. I'm not even beginning to equate my experience this week with what Job is going through. But actually, I think in some respects, the principles here are, are very similar, actually. If you listened when we read, uh, when Ruth read Job chapter 7 for us, Job is utterly, utterly fed up. He's looking for answers, he's looking for hope, he's looking for release from his suffering. It seems that he doesn't see any positives from having any sort of relationship with God. He just wants release from his suffering. And he can't see where it's coming from. This is not to belittle his sufferings at all. He obviously was going through a horrendous time and his sufferings were great. But that does not detract from the lessons that God tries to teach us. When we read the first few verses of Hebrews chapter 12, we read, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. There are no grades in that. There are no levels above which your suffering, our suffering, our difficulties, exclude us from that principle. It is all-encompassing. Let us throw everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with, run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Whatever our situation is, we need to deal with it in a godly way and we need to focus on the love of our Heavenly Father and that of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Who, for the joy set before him not the joy that he had experienced but because of what he could see let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of God consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart is that not why we come together? To share fellowship and to break bread. To fulfil the teaching in those first few verses of Hebrews 12. That irrespective of our personal 
situation, whether we're on top of the world or whether we feel in the deepest and the lowest of the troughs, that we fix our eyes on Jesus, that we are conscious and understand that there is a God who loves us. We come to break bread and to take wine to remind us that the Lord Jesus Christ was sent to us by our Heavenly Father that we would know our God. We know what he's like. We know what his personality like is like. That we would know how he deals with the sinful. That he knows how much he loves us. That's why Jesus came. And we come to remember that so that we can be uplifted and upbuilt. So that we are more able to focus on the things that are in fact important in our lives. So what? 250 people couldn't work for a few hours. They'll live. I've got the wrong carpet and I've paid too much money. I will just about live. It doesn't really matter. It isn't important and we can be so easily distracted. And as soon as we become distracted, we no longer become Christ-like because we're worried about earthly things and not godly things. So today when we come together, we're brought back to godly things so we can be benefited and changed, that we can love better, that we can be empowered and more willing to sacrifice because we understand what God has done for us. We're just going to have a couple of minutes, just got some time for just personal reflection and then we'll sing our next song and then Pete will come and lead our thanks for the bread. All I once held dear, built my life upon, all this world reveres and wars to own. All I once thought gain I have counted loss, spent and worthless now compared to this, knowing you, Jesus. Lord Jesus, as we take this bread, you ask us to remember you. And I, I don't know, I, I imagine when you shared the bread with your disciples, but as you handed each of them a piece, you looked straight through them. You knew what they were like. You knew how Judas was going to betray you. You knew how Peter wasn't going to be able to stand up for the courage of his convictions. You knew how they'd all run off when the going got tough. And you love them. But Lord, mostly I, I don't want to remember you and them on that night. But to be spurred to remember that you live in us now. 
that our lives are transformed by your power. Lord, help us all to remember that power that works in us. To remember a Lord who loves us. Who loves us utterly and completely and with all of his life. And Father, we thank you. We thank you that you sent Jesus. You planned it all out. That your love for us from the beginning was so great. And you knew right from the beginning that you saw through the whole history of the world and your love was bigger. And Father, we remember too your promise that the relationship we have now is but a shadow of the relationship to come. And we pray for that too, that we will live with you and praise you forever because of the transforming power of your Son. While they were eating, Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, Take and eat, this is my body. John will lead our thanks for the wine. Holy Father, Holy Father, thank you. Thank you for so many good things. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love. We read, Lord Jesus, in Hebrews that we have come to God and we have come to you, Lord. I have a feeling, Lord Jesus, that for a lot of us, maybe all of us, those are very difficult words. I have a feeling that most of us don't actually know what that means that we have come to you. I have a feeling that when we pray as individuals and as a church, Lord, that we actually find it ever so difficult to have this sense of reality that we come to you. The writer said earlier that we should fix our eyes on you, Lord Jesus. I don't think he's talking about fixing our eyes on an idea. I think he's talking about actually fixing our eyes on you. And I'm not sure that we're good at that. I don't know that we know how to do that, Lord. Lord Jesus, Holy Father, thank you for reminders. Thank you for this bread and thank you for this cup now, your life, given not just for us, but given to us, in us. 
Lord, let it remind us in the right way, not just remind us about things we've read about you in the Bible, but somehow remind us of the reality of you in us. I know, Lord, these brothers and sisters of mine and I myself have all sorts of difficulties about that. But Lord, I know it's got to be true. There has got to be in us a reality of us fixing our eyes on you and coming to you. Lord, I ask for a rich blessing now. But as we take this cup, but not just this cup, this is just a simple, but now and through the week and through our lives that we will in reality come close to you and fix our eyes on you somehow and our hearts on you somehow and our spirits on you and know you. I know you love us. I know you want us near. Lord, thank you. Amen. Then he took the cup, gave thanks and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. My Jesus, my Saviour, there is none like you. All of my days I want to praise the wonders of your mighty love. My comfort, my shelter, tower of refuge and strength, let every breath, all that I am, never cease to worship you. Notice that bit in Hebrews 12 about feeble knees. <laughs> it's there. First of all, um, Thank you very much for those of you who've rung me this week to encourage me towards this morning. Uh, it's obviously it's not an easy moment. But anyway, thanks. Thanks for doing what you've done. Um, I was only thinking when I read through Hebrews 11 this week that it's a very, it's a very comfortable chapter. It's all about other people. And it's this fantastic chapter on faith. A wonderful chapter. And a few years ago, in, in the January meeting for camp, we were deciding to um, look, look at what the scripture piece was that we were going to look at during that, that summer. And the suggestion was made that we were going to look at the book, Letters of the Hebrews. And... Uh, one girl said, oh well, Hebrews 11, we don't need to look anywhere else. And that was going to be the week. And I think that is a view that quite a few of us can have. That once you look at that chapter, what else is there to be said? But it's a chapter about other people. It's a very comfortable chapter. You can look at these people and you can look at their faith and you can think, wow, you know, they were fantastic people. And then you can close your Bible and go and put the dinner on. And it doesn't make a bit of difference to you. Or you can think, you can sit there and think, 
as um, Mary did quite often when she read this chapter, of the people that are in it, that she thinks, wow, how are they there? You know, really, how are they there? As giants of faith. And some barely get a mention. People like David barely get a mention. And there are some in there that you'd think, well, maybe they shouldn't be there. Or we'd have put somebody else in. But it's a chapter that you can meditate upon. You can sit there and, and read it and then walk away from it. When you get to chapter 12, as Tony said, and as has come across in, in, in both the prayers for the emblems this morning, um, there's nowhere to hide. This doesn't leave you anywhere to go at all. And it is an amazing verse. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Since you have a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every encumbering sin which so easily entangles us and run with patience the race that is set before us. I used to play for a, a team round here, football team round here, that used to go under the name of Old Trafford United. Fantastic side. We played in Seymour Park, just down the road here. And we were in a semi-professional league. We are an amateur team in a semi-professional league, and we did very well. We got some very, very good players in the team, many of them coming from here. And we had an absolutely balmy trainer. He was crackers, this fellow. And we used to train in Seymour Park. And to get us fit, in the beginning, this started in August, He'd make these sandbags, little sandbags like that, they were, that you tied around your legs. Can you believe it? And we did, and he'd have us running up and down, playing for five a side in August, with, with these sacks around our legs. And then he came up with the idea of having ones for our shoulders as well. So he'd make one, you know, that you sat on your shoulders, strapped it round underneath your armpits, run around playing five a side with these things on your back. It was murder. But when he took them off, you flew. Absolutely flew. And we were, without any doubt, we weren't the best team, but we were certainly the fittest in that, in that league. And it was, it, we played together for about, oh, I don't know, seven or eight years, I think, something like that. And, um, and as I say, when he took these weights off, these little sunbags, when these came out, we used to, you could feel everybody just groan. Because you just fasten them around you, underneath your knee. That's probably what Millie's bad felt for now, but we, this is what we did. We used to run round with these uh, little weights on. And, and this is what the writer here is saying. Lay them aside. Lay them aside. And that is not easy. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Tony was standing here, and he said, and as he said this morning, that really the only thing that matters in life is our relationship with God. And anything that gets in the way of that, we should discard. Now that is a big ask. Because, you know, we're in this world and we've got to live through it. And it's a battle. And there's no other word for it. And in the Hebrews it says, you know, run with patience the race that is set before you. And you either drop out or you keep going. And there's only one, that's the only way you can do a race. Or you can win it. 
And I think in John's prayer this morning, he was saying somehow to see the reality of Christ. Somehow to do it. And I think this is a tremendously important concept to see the reality of Christ in our lives. And not an idea, not a figure in a book, but the person of Jesus Christ. And there's only one way, or two ways, or three ways, that we can actually get anywhere near seeing this reality. And one of them is in times of fellowship, when we spend time together, looking at the person of Christ together, joining in prayer, joining in praise, and joining in reading. And if anything pushes those things away, then we do lose the reality of the person of Jesus Christ. If those things are absent in our family lives, we lose the reality of Jesus Christ. If those things are absent in our working lives, we lose the reality of Christ. If those things are absent in our leisure times, we lose that reality. And we, what we do is embrace the things that entangle. And I looked at the word for this, for this business here. And it, one, in one commentary it suggests that these things which distract fit us like a glove. They are very comfortable. They're very nice to have around us. And that's what it says. That's the original meaning of this. They fit us like a very comfortable glove. We need comfortable gloves in these last few days, but that's what, it's, that's what it's about. The things that can distract us, fit us. They're not, they're not like barbed wire or nettles and thorns. There's something that is very insidious that can fit us like a glove. A couple of weeks ago, a couple came to see me and they're not um, two people that normally would come and see me um, um, and um, they came pretty regularly when, uh, when Mary was alive but not two people that come too often now, now I'm on my own I can understand that but um, they came and I could tell there was something that was getting at them so uh, you know like you do you just give them time to think and time to talk and Eventually, and I, I asked permission, I did, I, I wouldn't do this to people unless they'd said that it was okay. Um, I asked permission to use that, this example this morning, obviously I won't mention the names. But they said that Christ was being crowded out of their lives. And they were having a, a real, real problem bringing Christ back into life. And what they were saying was that because they were busy, Tony described his week, um, I, don't, I don't do carpets now, floors. <laughs> but I know that many of you have very, very, very busy weeks. But this couple was saying, 
that because of work, the pressures of work, because of the family and children growing up, the only time they ever opened the Bible was here on a Sunday morning. They had no other time around the scriptures. So, there was no time to even read, never even, never mind study the Bible. So, and they were concerned about this, and that was a good thing. That's, that was a good starting point. And it was a question of finding the way to read the Bible again. And they said too that they did the prayers with the children, they said prayers with the children, but their own prayers very, very seldom, unless, unless something went wrong, unless there was an illness in the family, unless there was a danger of losing the job, unless things were going pear-shaped in the family, and then suddenly they were on their knees. And I know that. I know that to be true. And then the chap said that we're not in a reading age. We don't read anymore. It's far too easy just to switch the telly on or listen to the radio. And basically they're very one-dimensional. They tell us what the broadcast people want us to know and very little else. But the idea of reading is becoming less and less attractive. And I thought about this for a couple of days, actually. And then, they, and then I asked them back. A few years ago, I went to a seminar at Hoddesdon, which was run by Alan Proctor, now of Macclesfield. And it was the best thing that I think I've ever been to within the... Well, I was going to say that. No, it's not. It was, it was very, very good. Very, very good. And Alan's theme was learning to listen. And what he taught us on that day was not just to read the Bible, but to see it in a completely different way. And that was to see it as God speaking to us. To actually listen to what God is saying to us. And to take those words, not as we read it this morning, um, and just read through the chapter, beautifully read that was, not to just do that, but to actually listen to God speaking to us. So, I'm going to do something this morning that um, I've never done before, and I'm going to ask you to listen to God speaking. I'm going to ask you to sit very quietly, very comfortably, have a little wriggle if you want, and I'm going to read to you part of um, Hebrews chapter 12. If you feel comfortable closing your eyes to listen, then that's fine. Um, but I want you just to listen, and it's not me, this is God speaking to you. Absolutely speaking to you alone. You are the only one here. So just listen to God speaking to you. Therefore, you have 
a great crowd of witnesses surrounding you. So lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily fits you and run with patience the race that is set before you. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. And for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You may have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you, my son and daughter, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges everyone whom he receives. But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are bastards, children, bastard children and not sons. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God and no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many become defiled. I think I'll hold it there. I was going to go on to talk about really the duty of life that was in, in this passage, but I won't. I think there's, there's enough there uh, in, that, in that few verses um, to, to hold us but if you do have a difficulty reading and praying there needs to be a discipline that you want to do it that you actually want to create the time and the space in your day to listen to the Lord and then what I would suggest you did is read it out loud. This is what Alan suggested to us, that we didn't just sit and let the, the words flick over our eyes, but just to stop and read out loud those words and let God speak to you. In your prayer time, speak out loud, even if you're... If, even if it is things that you feel uncomfortable with praying about 
and you're on your own, pray out loud. I know that I've spoken, particularly some of the youngsters here, that they pray in pictures and pictures come into their minds. And I think that's good. I think it's very good. But I think if prayer is becoming pushed out, then create the time, create the space, and pray out loud. I can't believe that David's Psalms, which were so many, many of them were prayers, I can't believe that they would ever be said in his, just in his heart. I think they would be blasted out, absolutely, and sung out. So maybe that's another option to those of you who've got much better voices than me. To sing the Psalms, that's another thing, isn't it? Maybe you could think, think about that. I think one of the other things was that maybe maybe we do need to think about very seriously it's the time for gifts time for remembering the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ but I think maybe we forget um, at times that prayer is an amazing gift that we receive from God and if prayer and reading and time are pushed out then we are turning our back on some of the greatest things that God has ever given to us and I think that we lose focus when we do that and it's a tremendously thing, difficult thing to get back once it, once it deserts you once you lose it <coughs> So I know that it was quite a simple thing that I said this morning, but I hope that it goes into your hearts. I'm going to give you something to do tonight. If this morning you've come with a difficulty, something that's concerning you, something that's really worrying you, not whether you bought the wrong carpet, I can't believe you did that. But he's not here now. But um, I just can't. No, it wasn't. Do you know the number of times I've heard that? Not my fault. The number of times I've said it. I didn't do that, did I? But read tonight. Before you go to bed, read out loud. Second book of Chronicles, chapter 20. Have you got that locked in your heads? Second Chronicles, chapter 20. It's Jehoshaphat's prayer. Who? Yes. Jehoshaphat. It's Jehoshaphat's prayer. Halfway through, I'm not going to go into the historical background for it, because you'll, you'll pick it up once you start to read it. But it's the first 20 verses I want you to read. Halfway through that prayer, Jehoshaphat's prayer, he makes one statement that every one of you, every single one of you, and certainly me, have said, I don't know what to do, Lord. I don't know what to do. But Jehoshaphat added one little bit, which I wish I could remember at times. I don't know what to do, Lord, but my eyes are on you. And maybe, you know, we can be in that place. But read tonight, Second Chronicles, chapter 20, 
and the first 19, 20 verses. Right? Before you go to bed, read it. Read it out loud. Read that prayer. And it is just a remarkable thing. It's not one that we spend a lot of time with. Because, you know, we don't. But read it tonight. And um, I'd like to close today just with Psalm 27. Which I find to be just a wonderful, wonderful psalm. Um, And it's just the back end of the psalm which I'd like to finish with. From verse 11. And that, this is my prayer for me. And it's my prayer for you. Teach us your way, O Lord. And lead us in a level path. Because of my foes. Do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries. For false witnesses have risen against me and such as breathe out violence. And it's this verse next, verse 13, which has, I suppose in a way, um, uh, yeah, I think so. It's kept me, kept me in one piece during the last six months. I don't know whether I can read it actually, but I'll try. Can you? Thanks, Andrew. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Thank you, Jack. We'll close our service with prayer. John will do that for us after we've sung the Lord of all power. This is, uh, as I said to Liz on Friday, quickly becoming... Uh, my musical equivalent to John 3.16 and I'm vaguely embarrassed that I'm choosing it again but hey ho I like the song I like the musicality of it and I love the words and it seems actually uh, well I wouldn't have chosen if it wasn't fitting at least, I've, at least it fits with what we've been doing but it's the sentiment of the song is about uh, an affirmation and, a, and a, almost a rededication uh, of our lives that we want to be godly, we want to be Christ-like. Lord of all power, I give you my will in joyful obedience, your tasks to fulfill. Your bondage is freedom, your service is song, and held in your keeping, my weakness is strong. Lord of all wisdom, I give you my mind. Lord of all bounty, I give you my heart. And Lord of all being, I give you my all. Mighty God, we thank you for this day that you have given us. This sweet hour and a bit that you have given us. Father, we are so blessed that we have this room, that we have this time. That we have this lens that is brought clearly, focused on our mind. What real life is that you have given us clarity 
that you have shown us reality because this here in this room in this hour and a bit is real life our brother Jack has brought our minds so clearly to what we should be thinking about Father many of us in this room wear glasses and as we get older many more will and it's when you first when you're struggling to read a page and you place them over your eyes and the words stand out that's what we need Lord we need a Jesus lens for our lives because when we see the world today when we walk out through those doors if we have a Jesus lens we can see the world for what it truly is we'll see the bankers we'll see the politicians we'll see life for what it truly is and if we wear our Jesus lenses our Jesus lenses then we'll know what to do we'll know to give instead of take we'll know to give love instead of take love We'll know to we'll know to be more like him. Father, he is the justification of our lives. He is the things he is what we should measure our everything from. He is uh, he is the measure, the weight, the standard of all. And you gave him for us. You gave him that we might live. Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. And you gave us the love of God, your dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we are so blessed this day. And we thank you for this holy time in this holy place, in this holy gathering. Bless us now as we leave this place. Father, we thank you in your dear Son's name. Amen.